Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We hope this podcast encourages you and points you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. But let's pray and let's invite God in as we move to our message today. Lord, you are our everything. We are desperate for you, desperate for you to speak into our lives, desperate for you to continue to move because this whole journey started with desperation. It started with us being lost and you finding us. So God, please move in our hearts. Please open our ears to hear your word and please fill me with your spirit so that I can convey what you want us to hear. We love you, God, and we put you first. We pray all this in Jesus' name today. Amen, amen. Well, last week, Richie came and he talked about serving, and we're going to continue to talk about that today. But I want to tell you a story of a friend of mine here at Real Life. Her name is Lori, and some of her kids, Chance and his wife, Kathy, and her son, Jesse, all come to this church. And Lori, when she was just a girl, she started out doing artwork in school and loved painting. Well, one day, her teacher took her painting that she had done, that she'd worked on, and showed it to the class and in front of everyone, mocked and ridiculed what she'd done. Said, this is terrible, this is awful, this is not what you want to do. Lori put down the paintbrush and never picked it back up again because she had been ground down by that one experience. Well, that's not entirely true, though. She never picked it up until she told her son Chance and her daughter-in-law Kathy about this story. And Chance and Kathy, awesome people, they said, that's not okay. This is not where this story ends. And they went out and bought her paint, bought her an easel and said, you're going to paint. It's time. And Kathy started painting again. What was incredible is as she painted, she began to post these on Facebook and people came out of the woodwork saying, we love your work. And we're inspired to pick up painting or dancing or whatever we did as a child that we've lost. You've inspired us. So I'd love to show one of Lori's paintings here. I should be on the screen in a moment. I'm so inspired by her work. Um, when they get it up there, you'll see it, but so inspired by it. I uh, can't believe this is her third painting that she's done since she was a child, and she's a grandmother now, right? How beautiful. And I love that picture because you and I probably relate in a lot of ways to Kathy's story. There's so many places in our life, especially when it comes to serving Jesus, where we feel like we don't have what it takes, where people have told us or our own insecurities have told us The voice of Satan whispering have told us, you don't measure up, you can't do it. You have nothing to offer God. You have nothing to offer people. You're nothing. Those insecurities can cause us to be paralyzed into inactivity. And the good news is God has so much more in store for you. He has given us the ability through Jesus to be free from insecurity. But for a lot of us in this room, That's a lot easier said than done. So I want to explore with you a story from Scripture about a guy who also wrestled with some really deep insecurities and learned something from his story. So if you want, you can turn with me to Exodus. I am going to story tell the first two chapters and part of chapters three and four, but we'll look at some specific passages there. Exodus is really easy to find in your Bible. It's the second book. So you can use your table of contents, your Bible app. Uh, This story starts in Egypt, and the people of Israel— who have been chosen by God as his people, are in captivity. They're in slavery, brutal, oppressive labor, making bricks all day long for the people of Egypt. 
and they're crying out to God, but for 400 years, it seems like nothing's happening. Well, the Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, he sees the people of Israel continuing to multiply and grow, and he's afraid of an uprising. And he says, you're gonna take every male born in an Israel household and throw him into the Nile. You're gonna kill the babies that are males and only the females can survive. Well, about this time, there's a couple, Amram and Yochaved. That's a great name, right? If, you have, if you're having a child, Yochaved's a great one. These two have a child and they notice that he's special and they, they just love this child so much that they try to hide him, but they can't do it. They can't hide this baby from the Egyptians. So on one hand, they have Pharaoh saying, you have to throw him into the Nile. On the other hand, they love the child so much that what they do is they throw him in the Nile. In a manner of speaking, they build a basket and they put this little baby in the basket and they float it down the river, hoping and praying that someone will pick this baby up and raise him as their own. Well, what this family did not know was that Pharaoh's daughter would find the basket and she would take this little baby and she would raise him as her own. And she gave him a name. His name was Moshe. Say Moshe. Moshe. We call him Moses. Moshe means drawn out because she drew him out of the river. And this little baby would be her life. And she would raise him as if he was an Egyptian child. And Moshe, Moses, grew up in the courts of Pharaoh. Well, when he got older, he always remembered where he came from. And he saw an Egyptian beating almost to death one of the, his fellow countrymen, another Israelite. And he was not okay with it. And he looked around, saw that nobody was there. And he went and he killed the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. And thinking he got away scot-free, he walked away. The next day, though, he saw two Israelites fighting each other. And he said, whoa, 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 you can't, don't do that. Don't fight each other. They said, what? Are you gonna kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And Moses knew the cat was out of the bag and Pharaoh put out a hit on his life and he had to leave Egypt entirely. He had to run for the hills. And for 40 years, he became a wandering nomadic shepherd in the desert, okay? Rough beginning to his life. Well, about the time that he's 80 years old, 80 years old, as a shepherd in the desert, he comes to a mountain called Horeb. Later on, it'll be called Sinai. It's this huge place where God meets his people. And on it, he sees a bush that's burning. And he's amazed, not because it's burning, but because it's not being consumed by the fire. And approaching it, he hears a voice from the middle of this bush. And it says, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. And the voice says, take off your sandals. Where you're standing is holy ground. And it turns out this is God speaking to him and calling him, of all people, to go and be part of rescuing the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the problem is Moses is riddled with insecurities and fears. He's not sure how this is gonna work, what it's gonna look like. So he's gonna give five arguments against God about why he's not the right guy for the job. So we're gonna look at those. The first one is gonna be in Exodus 3, 9 through 12. God says, now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you 
And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses's first argument, God, who am I? Of all people, why would you pick me? I don't have what it takes. I don't have the necessary experience or the credentials. God, I am a wandering Bedouin shepherd in the desert. Why in the world would you pick me? And did you catch what God did? He didn't tell him, oh, Moses, here's the list of reasons why I chose you. No, 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 that's not what he said. He said, I'm with you. I've got something even better. I'm the one who's gonna go with you and I am the one who's gonna do the hard work. Moses, will you go? Will you just come with me? Well, this doesn't satisfy Moses completely. He's like, okay, okay, God, I got that. I got that you're gonna go with me. But Exodus 3.13, Moses says this. Okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? So if Moses' first argument is, God, who am I? His second argument is, God, who are you? What are you gonna do? How, how are you gonna intervene? It's been 400 years. It's about time, right, that you showed up. And, but who are you? Who do I tell these people is sending me? And God says something amazing. He says, I am who I am. That's, that is who I am. That is who is sending you. And he gives Moses God's covenant, his relational name uh, of Yahweh. Uh, often in your Bible, you'll see it, capital L-O-R-D. God says, that's who I am. I'm deeply relational and I'm the one who hears the cry of my people and I come to their aid. I am has sent you. And your people are going to listen to you when, when I send you. They're gonna listen to you. Pharaoh's not, and I'm gonna do miraculous signs through you so that Pharaoh will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've sent you and that I love this people. And then Moses says, okay, I heard that you said that the people are gonna listen to me, but what if they don't? Exodus 4.1, what if they do not believe me? Okay, God, I, I heard you, I heard you. Still a little skeptical here. What if they do not believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And what if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Moses' next thought is, okay, I have zero credibility with these people. The Egyptians hate me. They tried to kill me last time I was there. I don't know if you remember that, God, right? Second thing is my own people have no respect for me. I was raised in the lap of luxury in Pharaoh's palace. My people have no respect for me. I don't have credibility. You say they'll listen to me. I don't believe they're going to. So God says, hey, Moses, what's that in your hand? He's like, it's a staff, it's a stick, right? God says, throw it on the ground. He does, and it turns into a snake. God says, pick it back up, and he does, and it turns back into a staff. He's like, there's the first sign I'm giving you. Take your hand, put it in your cloak, pull it out, and he had leprosy. Put it back in, pull it out, and it's clean again. He's like, there's a second sign. If, they, if they're still skeptical, third one is take water, pour it out on the ground, it'll turn into blood. I've got you covered, Moses. I'm gonna do miraculous things through you so they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've sent you. Don't worry. But Moses isn't done. His first three arguments, God's kind of brushed aside and actually had some pretty good explanations for them. But this is, this is a big one. Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Like he, he recognizes he's taxing God's patience, right? Like pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. What Moses is saying is, okay, so you want me to go and speak to the most powerful man in the world and to my people, millions of people 
But the problem is, I, 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 I stutter, God. I can't do this. You don't know that I don't have the skills. Whatever you expect me to do, I'm limited and I can't do it. And God says, I love God's simple way of putting things. Who gave you your mouth? Who made your tongue? That would be me. I know what you can and can't do. And believe me, you can do a lot more than you think you can. Down the line, God's gonna say, look, if you're still worried about this whole speaking thing, I'm sending you your brother. He'll speak for you. I still want to talk to you. You talk to him, he'll talk to Pharaoh. If we need another guy in the middle, we'll figure it out. Your brother's gifted. But don't worry about your lack of skill, your lack of ability, because you actually have more than you think you do. And whatever you don't have, I've got it covered. But Moses is a man who has been, lived so long thinking that he's inadequate and not enough that this is his fifth and final argument. And it's not much of an argument, really. Exodus 4.13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. At the end of the day, Moses says, look, I hear all you have to say, but you've still got the wrong guy. I'm not the one. And God gets angry at him. <laughs> He's like, Moses, you're doing it. You're going to do it. And Moses finally does. But do you see the effects of insecure? Do you see the effects of not feeling like you're enough? What they did was they rendered Moses powerless and stuck trying to live out the rest of his life in the desert. Maybe you're like me and you relate to Moses on a number of levels. Uh, last week, Richie talked about serving and how service is the opposite of focusing on myself and sin nature. To be free from my sin nature, I need to be free from myself and to do that, I need to serve. But many of you probably walked away thinking, oh, yeah, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to give. Why are we talking about service? Because service is so crucial for the kingdom of God. And I wanna give you two things. They're heart postures with very practical applications. Two different things to grab onto today to help you as you begin to step into service. And the first one is you, yes, you, every single one of you, you have been chosen to serve. Chosen to serve. Richie read this last week. I'd love to read it again. This is from Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. And I love Paul's words here. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Dwell on that for a moment. Like Lori's painting, you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do, we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. We can serve, we can give of our lives. And here's the thing, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Grayson, you don't know my past. You don't know that I really have no skills, that I am a failure, that I fill in the blank, whatever it is that you have. You might be sitting there feeling like you don't know my story. And guess what? You are absolutely right. <laughs> I probably don't know your story. But there's a God in heaven who does. And the reason why we have been chosen to serve isn't because we're awesome. It's because God is awesome, right? We sing so many words. I love Moses' complaint. God, who am I that you would send me? Do you realize we just basically saying those words this morning? Who am I that you chose me, that you loved me, that I'm worthy? Who am I? And the reason that we are worthy, we are called, we are loved, is because of what God did for us on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Because there was a time before Jesus, and before Jesus, I was worthless for, to God. I was stuck in slavery. I was stuck in my sin. 
I was lost and broken and hopeless. And that's where we start. But God says, that's actually not where you start. You start way back when I created you and when I loved you and when I packed you full of potential, when I gave you gifts and talents and passions. That's what I created you for. And this story is where you want to think your life sits. But I came to tell you, no, that's not the end of the story. I came off my throne in heaven to be born as a human, to die on a cross for your sins, to set you free, not just to forgive you the things you've done, but to give you hope and a purpose for your future that cannot be taken away from you. That's what I've come and done. And because of that, you might be in here saying, if you just knew my past, you'd probably send me out the door. And what I say is, no, it's because of your past that you're here. Jesus has brought you to this place. You have a part in this body of believers in Jesus's church because he chose you before he created the world. He knew you were coming. He chose you. And he said, I've got, we've got a thing that we're going to do together, and it's going to be awesome. That's the gospel of what Jesus did. So if you're sitting here thinking you're unworthy, Jesus says, it, it was worth it for me to give my life on your behalf. Of course you're worthy, because the word is worth. Of course you're worthy. Now, Jesus came, and he gave us a new idea of kingdom. And Jesus's kingdom runs off of, in so many ways, service where some of you are in this room going, uh, I don't know about that, right? Like service. But I love the story of Jesus. Uh, Richie also alluded to it last week, but it bears repeating. On that same night, James came up and led us through communion. On that same night that Jesus was betrayed to go to the cross and die on our behalf. After the meal, he took out a, off his outer cloak, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he went disciple to disciple around that table and washed their gross, crusty country mile feet one by one. And Peter, even in the middle of it, he's like, hey, 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 don't wash my feet. I, I should wash yours. Which, by the way, Peter was right, right? I should wash your feet. Jesus is like, look, I've got to do this. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. After he was done, he took off the towel, put on his cloak again, sat down, and he said, you guys call me Lord. You call me teacher, and rightly so. And we lose the idea of what Lord means because that's not something, we don't have lords and ladies here in, in America. A Lord is someone who says, if they say hop, you say how high, how far, how fast. If a Lord tells you to do something, you say, yep, I'm doing it, right? If I'm a follower of Jesus, that means I've told Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm doing whatever you ask me to do, whatever you model to me, that's my life. That's part of the commitment of following Jesus. I no longer have my own, uh, my own ability to decide and to choose and follow my own heart and my own dreams. Jesus says, I have something better in store for you. I'm your Lord, and I want to guide you on that path. And Jesus says, that's what I am. I'm your Lord and your teacher. You call that, me that, rightly so. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have done this for you, I've washed your feet, you should do the same thing for each other. See, Jesus' kingdom is focused so much on self-sacrificial service, scrubbing gross feet of his disciples. And that's a really powerful picture because don't forget, this is God in the flesh. This is the almighty king who created the universe, who created all of you, who sneezed the earth into existence, instituted the laws of physics. This is this guy, and he's here scrubbing disciples' feet with his bare hands. If that's Jesus, how much so you and I? Right? So I just want to establish service is so crucial to Jesus' kingdom. 
Now, for those of you who are with me in this place of, oh, I've got insecurities, we're gonna take an aside for a moment because I know there's some people in the room who are not in that place. Some of you are sitting here saying, I just don't want to. (laughs) I I just, honestly, I don't want to. I'm too busy. I don't have the time. Um, Not my idea of a good time scrubbing people's feet, right? Don't wanna watch anyone's kids. Don't wanna mow someone's lawn, right? I just don't want to. And that's where I lived my life for a period of time. When I got out of college down in Pullman at Real Life on the Palouse, I said, I'm just gonna consume. <laughs> I'm gonna co- come and show up on a Sunday morning and just, just take things in. And eventually what happened was because I refused to serve and chose instead to be served, I ended up spiraling out. And it was a really dark period of my life. And what I realized, a word that God spoke to me as I was coming back to him <clears throat> was first off, from scripture straight up, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That's who I am. Jesus, Jesus said, Grayson, when you were in that place where you said, I'm not gonna serve, I don't want to, I'm not really feeling it. He said, I, I scrubbed your feet, I sat down at the table and what you told me was, it's right, Jesus, that you should wash my feet. I deserve for you to have me wash, have you wash my feet. And Jesus says, how backward is that? (laughs) Who's the Lord and who's the servant? He says, you're the servant, I'm the Lord. Start serving. So if that's you in the room today, my challenge is that's a hard-hearted place knowing full well from personal experience. That's a hard-hearted place. My my prayer and my encouragement to you is go to Lord in prayer and start looking through scripture and Jesus' words and discovering what it means to serve and how crucial it is for Jesus's family. Uh, but back to those of us who are insecure, because um, that fortunately is a, is a phase I move past. Now, I, I still have insecurities all the time. I still look at myself and say, God, I do not measure up. I don't know why you chose me. But think about Moses, and let's think about him for a moment as he's, he's stuck swirling around in this pool of insecurities. Imagine what he would have lost if at the end of the day he said, nope, God, I am not doing it. Whatever you say, I'm not gonna do. I am content to be a shepherd. He would have died a lonely shepherd in the desert of Sinai. He, he's the one that God used to write the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote this section in Exodus, which is why I love it. He's like, here I am, here's my issues, right? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. God used him in a powerful way to set the foundation for what was to come for the people of Israel, to reveal God to them in a way he had never been revealed before. If Moses had not gone, he would have never experienced the miraculous things in Egypt, the plagues on the Egyptians, parting the Red Sea, water from a rock. There's so many things that God did through him that Moses would have missed out on. And probably the most tragic of all is if Moses hadn't gone, he would not have known God. At the end of Moses's life, in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, It says there was never anyone like Moses who knew God face to face. Moses didn't just hear the still small voice of God. He heard his booming voice over and over through his lifetime. See, Moses would have given all those things up if he had not chosen to let his insecurities go and just trust God. Okay, God, I don't know how to serve this people. I don't know how to serve you, but I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna move forward. How tragic would it have been if Moses had lost that opportunity. And for each of you in the room here, as you're wrestling maybe with insecurities, how tragic would it be if you just stayed there forever? If you never took a step of faithfulness forward, God has adventures for you. He has miraculous things, these good things Ephesians talks about that he planned in advance for you to do. It would be a tragedy if that was lost. And 
what I love about Moses is he had all these kind of excuses and things. Notice God never told him why he chose him. Not once. Every time I was like, why did you pick me? God's like, just trust me. Why did you pick me? I'm going with you. Why did you pick me? My name is Yahweh, right? Like all these things. He's not gonna tell him why he chose him or what Moses is going to do. And imagine if you're Moses, you're like, I'm 80 years old, one foot in the grave, maybe. Uh, He lived to be 120, so I guess he was still a spring chicken, but one foot in the grave, 80 years old. All I know is the desert, scorned, rejected by my people, by the Egyptians. God, clearly you're out of your mind. You've chosen the wrong person. And that brings us to our second point today. First off, you and I have been chosen to serve. The second point is you are gifted to serve. That's right, you're gifted. And I don't, it doesn't matter what you're thinking right now about, no, I'm not gifted. You are gifted. And Moses didn't think he was gifted, remember? I'm a stutterer. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. But I'm gonna tell you some of the reasons why God chose him. Out of all the people, why in the world did God pick this guy? One of the biggest reasons, he grew up in Pharaoh's household. Who better to have go and approach Pharaoh than the guy who actually knows the politics, the culture, everything about Egyptian lifestyle. He knew Pharaoh one-on-one. He's the perfect guy to go and talk to Pharaoh because he understands like nobody else does. Also living in Egyptian courts, trained in Pharaoh's household, he knew how to read and write. How many slaves do you think were taught by the Egyptians how to read and write? Big fat goose egg. Nobody, nobody's learning this. Moses did, and he was taught and trained in it. Well, who better to write the first five books of the Bible than Moses? The one guy who's trained to read and write, okay? Moses could have still said, oh, no, no. But here's the other thing. Remember what he did. He saw his, his brother being persecuted by this Egyptian, and he couldn't stand it. Moses had an injustice button. He had a heart of compassion for his people. Now, he may not have done things the right way, right, by murdering that Egyptian. Speaking of which, if you think you've got things in your past, look at Moses, right? He might have thought that he was doing the right thing, but he wasn't. And here's the thing. God said, look, I love the heart. I love your compassion for the people. And I love the fact that you can't just let injustice slide. I can use that. You're going to be the one who's going to be the advocate for my people. And Moses even amazingly goes toe-to-toe with God on occasion. God says, look, Moses, we're gonna forget that group of people. I'm just gonna work with you. Like, uh, they're frustrating. And Moses said, no, God, no, please don't give up on your people of Israel. Moses went toe-to-toe with God and God loved him for it. God loved the fact that he had this compassionate heart for his people. He's the perfect person for this job. But what's he been doing with his life? Oh, he's been wasting his time shepherding sheep in this desert for 40 years. No, even that wasn't a waste of time. Because guess what? God was gonna have Moses lead and shepherd the two plus million people of Israel in the exact same desert that he shepherded those sheep in for 40 more years. Everything about Moses is perfect. But when Moses looks at himself, he says, imperfect, flawed, I can't do this. No, everything about you is perfect for what God is calling you to. God knows what he's doing better than you do, (laughs) a lot better than you do. God knows what he's doing. So Moses, despite all these insecurities, he's the perfect person for the job, but God just says, trust me, Moses, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get this done. You've been gifted too. I love how the Bible talks about it. First Corinthians 12, we're not gonna read the whole thing, but write it down and check it out later. 
Paul the Apostle, he's writing to this highly dysfunctional church, which gives me a lot of hope and encouragement, right? Highly dysfunctional group of people. And he says, look, to each one of you, God's spirit has come. God's spirit comes and lives inside of us when we choose to follow him. And he's given you gifts for the common good, for everyone's good. He's like, you're like a body. You're like a human body. And think of yourself as part of the body. And your job might be a pinky toe. It could be that you're the pinky toe. And you say, I have nothing to offer this body. I am basically useless and wasted. And God says, how will the body balance if it's missing its pinky toe? You might not think your gift is a big gift, but you are gifted. You're gifted with ways that I am not gifted. I can come up here and words can come out of my face and people generally listen to it, right? That's a gift of sorts. And some of you are like, I could never do that. Good, because I can't organize anything worth anything. I, I have so many limitations and issues. When I was younger, I used to think I could do anything. Now that I'm a little bit older, I'm like, I can't do anything. I have like three things that I'm good at. I'm gifted in certain ways, and you're gifted in ways that I'm not gifted in. And the teaching of Paul is this image of a body. You can't say, well, I'm useless, or that person's useless, or I have no place. He says, no, you have a specific place, and without you, there's a gaping hole in the body. God made you for a thing. He gifted you to do a thing that's really miraculous and powerful. And without you, I can't do this. Without me, you can't do this either. So don't think it's one way, right? Like we need each other is the point. We need each other in this beautiful picture of a body. And I wanna give you an image of this because that's really good on an abstract level to say, oh yeah, great, we need each other. So I lead a group on Wednesday nights and there are two women in that group in particular. The three of us have, have partnered in so many ways. Every person in my group has gifts. But these women, their names are Sharon and Ophelia. You may or may not have met them. Wonderful, godly women. And like I said, I, I can talk and I can encourage. And one of my gifts is I have a passion for God's word like none other. And I, I love to explain to people and teach them and help them apply God's word to their life. It's great, right? But uh, I am not naturally a compassionate person. And this, by the way, is not an excuse. I need to be compassionate. I need to learn the compassion of God. But naturally, that's not something I have. I am a problem solver, I think, analytically about things like, oh yeah, if you just apply this and you could grow this way. But I'm not a compassionate person naturally. Sharon and my group is the definition of compassion. She loves people so deeply. If they're weeping, she'll weep with them. She will go to the ends of the earth to help people. She's just spent two weeks of her life going to hospital appointments day after day with someone who's really suffering in order to be an advocate for her before, to the doctors. That's compassionate self-sacrifice. If there's someone in my group who needs compassion and needs someone to come alongside of them, encourage them, every time I talk to Sharon and she goes and just loves people well. She's also organized, which is a huge blessing because I get by, but she is just natural to her. When we need things organized, she kicks into high gear and we do things so much better. If it was up to me, it'd be like herding cats. It'd be chaos, right? Because I'm like, oh, we'll just wing it and it, it'll be fine and spontaneous and it would be chaos. But because Sharon's there, it's not because God gifted her with that. There's another woman in the group, Ophelia, and she is so 
passionate about Jesus. She loves him so deeply. And one of her things is she prays like crazy for people. And when she prays, it's amazing how the room is lifted and how you can feel God's spirit moving. So if there's someone in group that's suffering and just struggling, it's Ophelia. Ophelia comes and she prays. She is also the person that can have a difficult conversation, challenging someone to become more than she's created to be. So whenever I have someone who's just kind of, ah, wishy-washy, I don't know, she'll go in and lovingly but firmly say, hey, God made you for so much more. Let's, Let's go. These two women and myself and then all the other people in my group, everyone has something to bring to the table. If it was just me, we could have a great Bible study. It'd be, it'd be phenomenal. People would walk away knowing more about the Bible, right? But we wouldn't be the full picture of Jesus's body. We wouldn't really be the church if it wasn't for them. I am so dependent on the people, on you and the people around me because that's how God created us to be. Now you might be sitting here going, I have no clue what I have to offer. Remember, that's, that's not a bad thing. Moses had no clue what he had to offer. But there are ways to learn that. And one of those that I would encourage you toward is talk to people who love you and know you really well. And someone who can be honest with you too. Because there are times where, where people need to tell me, you're not as good at that as you think you are. You probably need to step aside and let someone else jump in. And I've had people do that to me. And that's a gift too. But there are people in your life who can say, I know something about you that nobody else does. I I know something that is so obvious, it's so powerful that only you have. Find someone, find someone you can trust who can encourage you that way. Another way is on your, if you got some notes on the way in, there's a link there, but you can just write this down. It's freeshapetest.com. It's a spiritual gifts sort of assessment that came out of a church. And a spiritual gifts assessment is just a tool, but the idea behind it is it can help you explore who you are and what your passions are and how to be a part of it. So start learning. What is it that God's given you and roll up, we need to roll up our sleeves and get in there. And there's so many arenas to serve in. One of them's your family, one of them's your community, but a big part of it is the church, being part of real life. Learn what your role is and begin to step into that because God has created you to do something that nobody else can. And if you think about it, think about how many people have not plugged in yet, have not learned to contribute. Uh, That gets me excited. And the reason why is how much more will God do? Not could he do, but will he do when we all start to plug in? When we say, okay, I am so stuck in insecurity, in shame, in a feeling of unworthiness but I'm gonna trust you, Jesus. I'm gonna trust what you said about me and not what I say about me. I'm gonna trust that you know what you're doing and I'm going to begin to dive in rather than caving in again and again and again to those insecurities, saying, no, Jesus, now's the time. Now is the time for me to be a part of what you're doing, to be a part of this family. And I think about this. I think about how much more function our body could have, how many more people could be reached, how many lost people could be saved, how many people like Kathy could be baptized, how many people could be served, how many people could be raised up from addiction in our Celebrate Recovery groups on Thursday nights if there are people who said, I'll go, I'll go wash some feet, I'll go feed some food, I'll go greet people. What could this church look like? What could this world look like if we were the catalyst for that change? I know this is a challenging conversation. For some of you in the room, like I said, you're hard-hearted toward this. I get you, I feel you, I've been there. 
Spend some time with Jesus. For some of you, you are serving and you've been such a big part of what God's doing around here. I absolutely love that. But maybe there's another step that God's calling you to, not to do more, but to do something more specific, to do something that is based on your giftings. Maybe you've been shaking hands at the front door. Uh, Maybe that's been a big part of it, but you know that if you could have deep conversations with people, if you could pull them aside and say, how was your week? Can I pray for you? That would be your next step. Start exploring with Jesus. What are you calling me to? You can put it on the connection card. We'd love to talk to you about that. But we all have a next step, even in service. Jesus's next step after that last supper was to go and die on behalf of his disciples. Fortunately, most of us, that's not our next step, right? But you do have a next step. I would love to invite you at the end of service. We're gonna have staff, we're gonna have elders up front to pray with you. And we would love to wrestle through some of this with you because I know this is not an easy conversation for many of you. Finally, the last group for some of you is that you have been too afraid, you have been too stuck, and now's the time. Like a Band-Aid, you just need to get in there and get started, and I am so excited for you because this starts the beginning of an adventure, an ongoing adventure of learning to be like Jesus in self-sacrificial service. Wherever you sit in this room, it's time for us to do this together. It's time for us to be Jesus's church and to serve because you are enough and God loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you saw us. As Ephesians chapter one says, you chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight, in love. You predestined us to be adopted as your sons, as your daughters through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that when we and other people would have looked at ourselves and said, worthless, not enough, you looked at us and said, I can do something miraculous in and through that person. Lord, we come before you humbly today asking that you would do what only you can do, that you would change our hearts, that you would give us a passion for being just like Jesus, for serving people with with our whole heart and not just halfway. God, we know that you've called us to a great and beautiful relationship with you. We humble ourselves before you and ask you to guide us. God, we love you with all our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us on the Real Life Spokane podcast. We exist to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. We love you so much and we'll see you next time.